You have one unheard message. Hi, I was calling Current, the influencer marketing platform, but I think I just got redirected to a bunch of people listening to a podcast. Well, anyways, I was calling Current because I was told they could help get my brand set up on TikTok Shop and even build out an affiliate program of content creators promoting my brand and even have those content creators go on live streams and promote my product there. Wow, I could really use Current. I also heard that the brands they work with are making millions in sales. I guess I'll just go to their website at current.tech. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. Welcome to Webcology. Webcology is the show that takes you into the deepest and darkest ends of the ecosystem on the internet. Our guides will take you on a journey into web marketing and bring you the experts and the information so that you can further explore the web marketing world. Now, here are the hosts of Webcology, Jim Hedger and Dave Davies. here on cranberry.fm it is the 27th of october 2016 this is jim hedger from digital always media joined by dave davies from beanstalk internet marketing and you know Dave, every time i do the date at the beginning of the show it feels it just it's just crazy just i can't believe how fast the year is going past 2016 is almost over and uh we had these great plans for the last quarter of 2016 here on the show but you know how you know what they say about plans right <laughs> once you once you articulate the plans, everything everything goes to hell. Rhea Drysdale was going to be on the show today, but unfortunately, in the last couple of days, Rhea has lost her voice. So she's unable to join us today. Oh, she would have sounded like this, and that would have made really bad radio and would have portrayed <laughs> Rhea in a really bad voice, which wouldn't have been her voice at all. Um, so she wasn't able to join us, unfortunately. Get well soon, Rhea. I was... Uh, I was really looking forward to the interview, but Dave, you made a save at the last second. We got Tracy Ingram coming on the show, talking about AR and VR. Um, Tracy is a truly interesting character, and I can't wait to get around, getting around to talking to him. A lot's happened in the last week. Um, why don't we start with breaking news? And I, I know I didn't put the story up ahead of time for you, but you, you must be aware of it. You know, you know Twitter's in trouble, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, Twitter has been struggling to find somebody to buy them. And this is the weirdest thing. Twitter is one of the most active and popular social social network mediums out there. But it can't get any traction. It can't, you know, turn a profit. It can't raise a significant revenue. Hell, it can't even find a buyer. 
<laughs> that must be a terrible position to be in. And so this week they announced that they were cutting 8% of the staff and 300, uh, 300 persons. And this morning they announced that they were cutting Vine, their, um, well, I guess what used to be quite popular six-second video app. Mm-hmm. I think that's, I mean, it's, it's, Vine was one of the things that made Twitter so interesting. Yeah, I mean, it's it's very, very telling, the writing sort of on the on the wall. Um, I mean, what do you what do you think? Like, I, I, I feel for them, right? Like, we all use it. I find it extremely useful, like Twitter, both from a, a marketer's standpoint and just a data collection. Like, I'm, I'm on Twitter at least a couple times a day just trying to figure out what's going on. Um, you know, so I feel for them because they, they can't monetize this platform, and it's not really a platform that's easy to monetize simply because I don't really want to be marketed to in that environment. <laughs> that's not what I'm there for. I get, you know, occasional ones would be fine, but um, it, it's got to be really, really tough for them. And I think, yeah, they, they've got to get with an acquisition of, I don't know, somebody who just needs the data, like a Google or something, um, who would acquire them just for data makes, makes the most sense, I guess. I just used, I just finished using Twitter as a pillar in an incredibly successful marketing slash information campaign for a uh, an annual conference series that happens in Toronto. And, uh, you know, we used Twitter to get so much information to conference attendees, and it was, it was instant for them. Uh, right. Maps, speakers' bios, uh, specials that were happening on the trade show floor, things that people needed to know, like, um, timely and instant information that they needed to know, and as an attendee, this made their conference experience that much better. Um, I've used, I, I can't think of the number of ways I've used Twitter over the last uh, five or six years, but you, imagine you're selling your house, you're trying to sell your house, and you have this beautiful sunroom that doesn't make you any money, but, you know, it's, it's a heck of an addition to the house, certainly adds value to it. And you can't afford to upkeep it anymore, so you take a sledgehammer to it. Right. And it's uh, harsh. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that is about uh, about the scenario. Uh, my only hope, of course, is that that it does work out for them in the end, that they do get acquired by somebody who can, who can make good use out of them, hopefully more from a data than an advertising perspective, but I do expect to see some advertising. But, um, you know, I mean, I find it really, really useful – would I pay for it, though, is, is the question. <laughs> like, they, they've got to monetize some way, obviously. Um, hopefully they can, they can figure it out or be acquired by somebody who can figure that out pretty quickly. Yeah, indeed. Indeed, uh, monetizing is... Uh, I, I, I got no suggestions. <laughs> it's too bad. Um, anyway, Vine, Vine's not dead today, but it will be in the coming months. Uh, Dorsey made the announcement earlier this morning. Jack Dorsey, CEO of Twitter, um, didn't give any timeline, but... It's on the block. Um, we got Tracy Ingram coming on in a few minutes, and we got a bunch of stories you want to get through. Uh, first one I want to jump on, Dave, is uh, well, actually one that you wrote. It was uh, published in Search Engine Land this morning, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I think it really points out that we have to get Gary Eyes on the show to ask him a bunch of questions directly. Uh you wrote a you wrote a piece, uh, a penguin's tale, responding to the latest update, and basically, the too long didn't read. And incidentally, y'all <laughs> should read it. It's published at Search Engine Land today. But the too long didn't read version is meh. 
maybe there's not a lot you really should do about it, except keep on keeping on. Yeah, indeed. I don't think I have ever used uh, more times um, in one article, the more things change, the more they stay the same. (laughs) Every time I was sort of closing off a section, it's like, yep. And what this means is, if you were doing things right, just keep doing those things and you're going to be fine. Right? Like at, at, at the end of each one. But there was so much. I mean, you remember it, especially early on. And it was tough for people, you know, myself included. Yourself, you know, I'm, I'm sure all of our listeners as well, where you would be hearing one thing and it would be from John. And then you'd hear another thing and it would be from Gary. Or, you know, I mean, you would get these, these people who should be in the know with conflicting pieces of information. And it was like, okay, let's just... Take a moment here. <laughs> Imagine what the article is. Let's just sort of break down what these different things where we've had conflicting bits of data about and actually come to the conclusion of, of what has actually happened and, and changed since uh, since the Penguin um, update. And what does it actually mean? And what does it mean for webmasters? So well, um, the, hopefully that came across. It, it did. But as, as you got to know, you're the one who wrote this. There's still a whole bunch of holes in what, uh, if you compare what Gary said uh, to what uh, 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 John Mueller has been saying, there's still mm-hmm. a whole bunch of holes in um, whatever narrative we're trying to cobble together here. Uh, oh, yeah. The uh, the one about there the, there being no delay in uh, in a bounce back from rankings. I'm sorry, I don't buy it. I I, I just I cannot wrap my head around that. I, I know, and we kind of touched on that last week. Um, and then you know what? It, it's typical Google fashion. Um, you know, I was, I was, you know, sort of reading through it and every time I sort of go through the conversation thread, which again, I, I had to put this piece together. I'm like, and it's that last thing where it's like, I know what Gary's doing here. He's being technically correct. Matt was a master of it. You know, John's good at it, but Gary's, I think following in, in Matt's, um, you know, sort of path here with the, yes, I've answered your question. And what you said was, does penguin. That's what I asked. So he went through and had this full thing just about Penguin and basically confirming, no, it it doesn't have any delays, blah, blah, blah. And then it was there was actually a slight delay in time between that. And then he just sort of fires in, we do have built-in protection for manipulation. Keep that in mind with a little wink. Right? And it's like, okay, so Penguin doesn't have that built-in. <laughs> but, but you're not, you know, there's, there's 200, 300 plus. Um, other elements of the algorithm. So basically you're saying, I answered you technically right. I've answered your penguin question, and no, it doesn't have any built-in delays. Now, we have all these other parts. <laughs> they well, probably do, but but penguin not, does. Not just that. I mean, like, it, in a weird way, I almost get the feeling that, that Gary was looking at it from a penalization perspective. Let's remember, there are several, there are tens of billions of documents and objects in Google's index and in one way or another, somehow, this is like a six degrees to Kevin Bacon sort of thing, they all weigh against each other. Mm-hmm. The hell there's not a delay in recovery. I'm sorry, it just doesn't make sense. Well, and then you hit that always typical when you're talking to Google about something. Is there a penalty in something? No, there's no penalty in that. No, we just removed all the value from it. There's no penalty. And it's like, well, <laughs> okay, you know, at the same time, what I'm saying is, can I possibly bounce back? You know, yes, you can. And I understand that technically they are correct. There may not be a penalty, but 
um, it, it is a little odd when they throw those things at you. But um, And that's just one of those holes that we always have to hear. But at the same time, and it, it's funny because it was the entire tone of the article, that only really involves if you're using malicious um, link building strategy, or I guess not malicious, but, but black hat link building strategies, and you get caught, and, and we're talking about the recovery here. But again, for people who are just doing things right, right, and, and not every link is going to be perfect. I'm not saying, hey, everything has to be like 100% awesome every time, because that's just going to happen in just the natural way the web works. But if you are just trying to do your best to build some good links, and, and you're following you know, the guidelines as close as you can, well, it's probably a moot point at best. <laughs> so the more things change, the more they stay the same. Just keep doing that thing. And I think penalties are going to be lighter um, now or, or certainly easier to deal with as they move to devalue rather than penalize. And, you know, so I, I think in, in some ways we enter a, a better a better world. But they're also asserting that negative SEO is, is you know, not a factor right now. I heard that a couple of years ago, too. Right. <laughs> and so I, I don't really trust them on that one. But well, if uh, if they're to be believed, if they're to be believed, you can eat cardboard all day long. And though you're getting no nutrition from it, there's no nutritional value, apparently eating cardboard is no longer going to make you sick. Right. The bad links being, you know, no nutritional value whatsoever. Um, so if that's the case, then, yeah, maybe they have uh, they have made it much harder to do negative value SEO. But like uh, Gary alluded to in his uh, response tweet to you, there are so many other mechanisms in Google's algorithms that, uh, you know, it's quite possible that a series of spammy links being directed to a competitor's site will still somehow trigger a bad behavior penalty for them. Right. Even if it's not a penguin thing. You know what, and it was actually interesting in the next one, and this was a uh, in response to a question from Jennifer Slegg um, in, in the same piece here, um, where she had asked, and, and a good question, is Penguin a machine learning algorithm? And we hit that same sort of head-scratching scenario where the answer is both right and wrong. Is it a machine learning? He answers no. Okay, I take him at his word. No. However, it's part of the core algorithm. The core algorithm has some machine learning aspects built in and certainly growing um, influence of machine learning. So <laughs> you know, now you hit a, a scenario where it's like, okay, it might not, but it will, but it kind of does because part of the algorithm it's part of does, but it doesn't exactly. Right? Like Penguin doesn't so, by itself, but it's part of an algorithm that does have machine learning. So machine learning will be influencing Penguin. Just not directly, right? So you end well, and, up with these weird things. And vice versa. The data that Penguin collects will be int will be influencing the way the machine learns. 100%. Um, and, and speaking, you know what, I'm going to take us on, on, a, on a bit of yeah. a, a hard right here. Um, but, you know, we're, we're speaking of machine learning here. Well, here's just a frightening little, uh, little gem <laughs> uh, from over on NewScientist.com. Um, Google's neural networks. Um, have now invented encryption. What they did was they created an experiment where they created sort of person, you know, a fake person one or, or virtual person one and, and virtual person two gave them both the same key to encrypt and decrypt some information. Uh, and then they created a 
third virtual person, basically all of these are, are independent machine learners, and they created a third unique person who does not have the key. And then they were trying, basically sending messages between person, virtual person one and virtual person two, basically with the only instruction be to keep this data from person three virtual person. These aren't real people. This is, this is a machine that, that's sort of planted in the middle. They're going to get the entire stream of data, but they can, you, the, the goal is to hide from them what it is, and they just gave them basically an encryption key to work with, but no algorithms. And these machines learned how to encrypt data by themselves. Um, now, that's frightening. <laughs> that's kind of frightening, Yeah. Uh, last week, we learned that Google's neural network is um, at the point where it's now beyond how to say this. It no longer needs direct human input. So the humans aren't helping the neural network figure out what it's figuring out anymore. It's now capable of standing on its own. So this uh, experiment using three neural nets, one Alice, one Bob, the other called Eve, um, as it turns out, Alice was sending a secret message to Bob. Bob, another neural network, figured out how to decode the message. The neat one, though, was there was a third one who wasn't part of the communication. The first two were communicating directly, Alice and Bob. Eve, her job was to sit and uh, try to suss out what uh, the first two, Alice and Bob, were talking about. She got it half right, apparently. So not only are they learning to create their own language... They're also learning how to decrypt language. Mm -hmm. And now something worth, worth noting on the she got it half right, this person in the middle, just for statistical accuracy for our listeners, the only data being transmitted was a one or a zero. So your statistical odds are you're going to be right half the time. Just on random guessing, it's a one or a zero. It's like a coin toss. Is it going to be heads or tails? 50% of the time, you're going to be right. Yeah, uh, come on, Dave. What are the chances of this one experiment hitting exact 50%, man? <laughs> come on, man. Valid point. Um, so, I mean, it is still, it, it's, it's, it's quite interesting stuff, this, this sort of delving forward. And you know what? Now, speaking of interesting stuff, and I know we got we to gotta go to a break here just momentarily, um, Google just announced their Q3 um, earnings report. Um. And surprise, surprise, they are up 13% growth year over year, um, hitting $18.7 billion instead of 18.53, which was what was expected. So they did, uh, they did very, very well. And, and there's a lot of details over at Business Insider. You can see how that broke down on, on cost per click averages and stuff like that. But um, just for people's uh, awareness, uh, if you were worried about Google suffering and going away, <laughs> nope, turns out. They're doing better than expected. Google's not Twitter. <laughs> it's really important to keep this in mind here. No matter no matter how embarrassing that whole G plus uh, experiment was, Google could afford it. Um, <laughs> okay, on that, we got to take a break here on on Webcology here on Cranberry.fm. We're going to be coming back with uh, Tracy Tracy Ingram. Tracy is the uh, CEO and founder of BioScanR and Intention Technologies. On behalf of Dave Davies from Beanstalk Internet Marketing, this is Jim Hedger from Digital Always Media. You're listening to Webcology on Cranberry on the 27th of October 2016. We're back after the festivals. Sit tight and don't move. 
Webcology. We'll be back after this short break. Are you paying too much for your paid advertising? Or have you quit altogether because it seemed like a huge waste of money? Studies show that companies waste 25% of their PPC spend on average. The web marketing experts at WMETraining.com can show you how to make your AdWords account a lean, mean, converting machine. Whether you're just starting out or want to take your skills to the next level, we have a class for you. Contact the web marketing experts at WMETraining.com. Looking for a white-label SEO and social platform for your clients? Think eBrands. Free and unlimited SEO audit reports. eBrands. Premium Facebook apps and welcome page creators. eBrands. Twitter management app, analytics, and mobile site generators. eBrands. Let eBrands manage your search and social media campaigns and give you and your clients access to their white-label dashboard, which have great reports that will wow your clients and deliver great ROI and results. Try eBrands for 30 days. Go to eBrandsWithAZ.com or call 1-866-625-5717. That's eBrands with a Z for eBrands. Hi, I'm Montel Williams. Most of you know me as a talk show host, but I'm also an author, actor, single father of four, avid snowboarder, and I'm also a medical marijuana patient. Living with multiple sclerosis, I'm in pain every day. Medical marijuana is my last resort, and it helps me when all other drugs have failed. If you'd like more information about medical marijuana, you can contact the Marijuana Policy Project at mpp.org or call 1-877-JOIN-MPP. Cranberry Radio, online anytime at cranberry.fm. Takes you to the deepest and darkest ends of the ecosystem on the internet. Here are the hosts, Jim Hedger and Dave Davies. Hey everyone, welcome back to Web College here on Cranberry.fm. It's the 27th of October 2016. This is Jim Hedger from Digital Always Media and Dave Davies from Beanstalk Internet Marketing. And we have with us in the studio Tracy Ingram, CEO and founder of Bioscanner Bio and Intention Technologies. Uh, Tracy's been an SEO since, well, since before the turn of the century, kids. Tracy, <laughs> welcome to Webcology. You're, you're calling me out on radio just to, you know, to tell me how old I am, aren't you? Yeah, thing is, around here, around these parts there, son, we're all about the same age. Uh, we've I all been around since then. <laughs> yeah, you just celebrated your 10 years on the, on the air, I believe. Yeah, okay. <laughs> we did. I know, it's bizarre. Um. Just yesterday, those those uh, overture ads were coming out, eh? <laughs> <laughs> Just yesterday. Just yesterday. <laughs> um, okay, well, you know what? We started the show talking about how Twitter uh, cut Vine off of its uh, off of its roster, is about to kill Vine. And uh, you know, in researching the show, I noticed that in in previous years, you used Vine a lot for marketing, but then you stopped uh, somewhere in 2015. I did. I did. I mean, you know, it's just there's just so many things like that that you have to look at. What's the return on investment? And you can spend a whole bunch of time doing certain things. And if no one's watching or no one's actually interacting with it, why? So, you know, Vine was useful. Then it stopped being. I just didn't see the I didn't see the value myself for clients and I didn't see the value, um, 
you know, really to push stuff out there. Um, you know, you now you have things like Facebook Live, you have Periscope. Periscope was probably the big switch I did at that time to mm-hmm. start doing live interacting. Um, you know, the thing about Vine, it's great. It's a quick little thing, but it's hard to move anywhere. You know, they move it to YouTube videos, but that's about the the great use of Vine from what I've seen. You know, it's it's looking at Twitter is almost like looking at Yahoo and going, wow, there's so much great, but I just can't put my finger on it. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think you have some really great artists that will do some stuff on Vine that are, you know, taking maybe three, four hours of footage and compressing it into you know that short little Vine clip, but they're not doing it like a live little Vine um, push. You know, and so those are the ones I think are really the Vine videos that people really love. And so there's not that there's not great content creation and trying to put it into a very short spot, but it's not like it's the average user picking up Facebook Live or the average user picking up Snapchat um, or Periscope and just doing like, hey, this is me and this is real. And I think the, the move towards reality and the move towards some of that authentic conversation um, really isn't where Vine's at. Well. The reason I started this interview by uh, by talking about Vine is it was an emerging and extremely interesting technology, say, three years ago. Mm-hmm. You've always positioned yourself um, sort of in the avant-garde, in the, in the advance of interesting and the new technology that people are going to be using, say, next year. And, um, you know, through Bioscanner and Intention Technologies um, – Please correct me if I'm wrong, but it feels like, you know, you're entering the Internet of Things. You're working with, um, you know, individualized medicine. That's uh, that's tomorrow's stuff, is it not? Tomorrow's stuff, today's stuff. Um, yeah, so I was I was part of a competition called the Tricorder X Prize, which was to build literally a tricorder from Star Trek. Um, out of 400 companies worldwide, we were one of the 20 finalists um, to be able to diagnose 15 diseases and do real-time vitals from a cell phone. And, and to do that and to understand that, you start looking at, wow, how complicated some of this technology is. But if you look at banking, you know, we went from everybody had to go to the big bank to now we do it, you know, on the phone to ATMs to cell phones. And so it's a natural migration of technology. Um, so as you look at medicine and how it's becoming easier and how it's becoming user friendly, it's really just measuring one more thing. Um Honestly, search kind of brought me to it in some ways because I would look at my analytics of my website and I could tell you so much about what happened with my website and how many visitors and what happened, but I couldn't tell you that about my body. I couldn't tell you what happened to me that day. It was a, uh, a Canadian author, um, Douglas Copeland, um, author of uh, uh, Microsurfs and that other more famous book whose name completely escapes me at the last second. And... Uh, he phrased a, 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 a descriptor, acceleration culture. I described mm-hmm. what you're working on as tomorrow stuff. When the tomorrow stuff, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm 48 years old. So, like, tomorrow stuff, the, 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 the iPhone is still tomorrow stuff in my world. But the iPhone, in, in, in the context that you're in, was turned into a functioning tricorder. The Internet of Things, you're... Um, Basically, Neil Postman's toaster being plugged into the internet to know uh, when you need to order more bread. How, how to say this? How advanced is this world of future tech compared to our society's understanding of where we're at? 
Uh, I would say the technology probably way outpaces the ability for people to not be afraid of it. Um, okay. I think I think when you talked earlier about some of the, um, you know, your digital assistants and how they can help you. Well, your Internet of Things gives you all that information to know what room you're in. You know, have you just been doing something? It's the context. You know, so one of the things that you look for kind of in search is you're looking for what's the context of someone who's going or doing something. And so the Internet of Things is all of that metadata. All the metadata that we have to type in by hand is what the Internet of Things is creating. And so now you can start seeing temperature. You can start seeing heart rate. You can start seeing when someone gets excited. You can start seeing when they like something or when they don't. And a lot of this stuff can be captured by cameras now. It can be captured by uh, wearable monitors. And so it has a lot of potential as we start developing these these other worlds online. Well, you're quickly bringing us uh, – you just brought me to my big money question. Um, how is the Internet of Things and the, and the data being uh, derived from the Internet of Things going to be affecting search in the, uh, the near to midterm? Well, I think there's going to that's going to be possibly a process going through. I mean, I think I was thinking uh, before when you were talking about some of the the vocal assistants and voice search. You know, just the level of discernment that's needed to be able to hear something. Um, if we're talking about an you know an Amazon Echo or a Google Home, and we start doing a voice search, will we? You know, if any of us sat in front of a Google search, we could see and discern some of these shady. Um, uh, you know, techniques, but we wouldn't necessarily, um, uh, you know, we wouldn't necessarily do that on a voice search. If we just say a voice search, it's going to give us this, that first result that I'm feeling lucky. And so now as we start looking at, um, you know, here's my house is online, everything else is online, I could see that there could be um, a lot of interesting things that could come from uh, the Internet of Things. And I think some of it we're just seeing now. No, it, it's interesting. Through this conversation, this isn't the first time, because you and I are friends on Facebook, Tracy, and, and I think this often when I see your stuff. It, 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 you remind me often, as does this conversation, of the quote from Arthur C. Clarke, any sufficiently advanced technology is indistinguishable from magic, right? And that's kind of what we're, what we're talking about. And what Jim's question was kind of touching on is, where do we understand our, ourselves? Um, and, and where do we understand the technology and, and, and can we even do this? Um, one of the areas I want to make sure to chat with you about, cause I know you're, you're passionate about, it, and this is an area where it's starting to feel a, a bit like magic, um, and certainly will into the future is this hybrid. And, and you added a third one. I was thinking I wanted to chat with you about augmented reality and virtual reality. Um, and then you had sent me a, a an interesting piece um, it, regarding a haunted house, and I'll, I'll let you tell our listeners about that, where I'm like, okay, and what we're talking about on Tricor is, okay, so now we're bringing biotech into it. So it's not even the virtual reality and the uh, um, augmented reality we might think about it, Pokemon Go or, you know, an Oculus on your face, but now adding in or, or with the potential to add in these biometric functions. So let's start with um, the, the sort of haunted house um, piece that you had sent me. Why is this relevant? to anything we're doing, talking about. So, so this it just happened to be relevant when you're talking. And what it was is he took and put a heart monitor on someone as they're walking through a, um, a haunted house. Um, what was interesting about this to me is I'm actually working on a prototype for something very similar to this um, where we can actually monitor someone's excitement and emotional state as they're walking through a haunted house using three different metrics besides just a heart rate. And then through thermal cameras, we can actually see their skin temperature change. 
what's relevant for this for some of the big um, uh, you know horror or Halloween um, groups is that I don't want to mention names of people I'm kind of working with. Sorry, um, but it, what's be really relevant for them is that now their actors, which all have microphones, can know that the girl in the pink sweater is the most scared. And if they interact with her, they could affect the entire group of people. And so when we're looking at augmenting an experience, now we're using technology to understand the emotional state of people as they're walking through a room, which goes beyond just measuring someone's heart rate to see if they're scared. But now you're starting to see how this Internet of Things is augmenting your real world by giving you more information. So this actually sounds like the most evil application. Find that person who's the most scared and just traumatize them because that'll impact a, a larger group of people. Because they're, yeah, we know like your emotional state is contagious, so you're going to really just drive this person to a heart attack. But you can't <laughs> make an offer. Heart attack, yeah, luckily, some we eggs. are medicine. <laughs> uh, so let's. I, I mean, there's there's so many directions I want to go here, but let's just launch into the obvious question. Okay, I'm a marketer. We we all saw. Pokemon Go. Uh, that worked well for, from, from a local standpoint. So let's start there. Why was Pokemon Go so, so successful? But I really want to take this to what's the next thing that we're going to be talking about, and, and maybe we'll save that for after the commercial break. So why was Pokemon Go our first real launch into augmented reality? Why did it work so well? Well, I think, it, I mean, I think Pokemon Go, honestly, I think worked more for the nostalgia than anything else but from a futurist standpoint it really was something i was in, into i uh i was also a player of ingress i've been following niantic for two or three years and i watched as that company came out of google the head of google maps created that company and what he did was he did something that google maps could never do because as marketers we will take every company that we work with and make sure they're on google maps but to take a mural artwork or other things that you might want to see and put that information into rich descriptions in a geolocation capability, that's what the original game was. And so if you take all the Pokestops or all the things that worked at Pokemon Go, there was, a, there was another game called Ingress that was out there taking pictures and collecting all that geo information for them. And that's kind of what made it really interesting to me is that now if then Google actually released something called, or Niantic released something called um, Field Trip, I believe. And then you could actually take a trip in um, a town that you'd never been in before, and it would show you how to find all the artwork, all the murals, all the statues, all the you know churches, all these other neat things that wouldn't really be in a map application. Okay, now, now I have to ask that, and we only got a couple minutes to break, so I'm just going to – what faction were you part of? I was, I was a resistance. I, I was right. also – I was also resistance, and I actually, funnily enough, I get to live on the, the in the center of four regions. So I actually had put some fields off and became the number one agent in four regions. So I might have got a little obsessed. Uh, <laughs> okay, I got a, I got a quick question thrown here. We still got we still got a minute and a half. Um, is Pokemon Go still a thing? I think it is. I think there is definitely some stuff that's coming there. You know what? What I had from a lot of so if I ask some of my high end gamers. Um, Pokemon Go was never something that was a really good game. What it did is it started showing this interaction where now I'm somewhere. Now, the, the difference, and you can see what they tried, is in Ingress, you could only play where there was a spot. But in Pokemon Go, you could play anywhere. And anywhere, there could be something that pops up. And so you're always kind of giving that whole, that uh, fear of missing out that comes from 
oh, I might be, oh, I'm sitting in line somewhere, what's going on? Or I'm sitting over here somewhere, what's going on? Where in Ingress, you had to physically be at one of the chosen locations to do anything. And so I think what you'll, you'll still seeing is this, this, you know, resurgence a little bit. And, I mean, it was still outpaced Twitter for a number of active users, and it still made like about a half a million dollars a day, I think, if I remember the information. Now, it's obviously far back from that now, but I still think you will see a level of activity and potentially other copycats coming on. Well, the copycats most certainly. And no, ma- no matter what happens with what we saw as Pokemon Go, it was complete proof of concept. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, it's uh, kind of like we talked about Yahoo, right? We, we don't really use Yahoo anymore, but it was great. It was something there that was great, and then something along came along the better that gave us what we wanted. Indeed. And on that, I'm afraid we're going to have to give the owner of the station what he wants, a commercial break. <laughs> well played, Jim. This one's, this one's for you, Paul. Um, so on behalf of uh, of Dave Davies from Beatsock Internet Marketing, the ownership of Cranberry Radio, and myself, Jim Edger from Digital Always Media, you're listening to Webcology on Cranberry.fm. It's the 27th of October, 2016. We're going to be back with Tracy Ingram after these messages. Sit tight and don't move. Webcology will be back after this short break. Literature is taking over Miami streets. Between November 13th and the 20th, downtown Miami will transform into a full-week celebration of the literary arts. More than 500-plus authors are coming to share their new work at the 2016 Miami Book Fair. The Porch is open every evening, complete with a full schedule of live music and performances, a farmer's market and cafe, food trucks, craft beer, and more. For more information on the 33rd Miami Book Fair, November 13th to the 20th at Miami-Dade College's Wolfson Campus in downtown Miami, call 305-237-3258 or visit MiamiBookFair.com. Follow Miami Book Fair on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Miami Book Fair. Is your website hacked? Is your website displaying error messages or loading slowly? Even if there are no signs of malicious activity, your site may still be compromised. Websites, like cars, require regular maintenance to perform at their best and not leave you stranded. At Fjorge, our website maintenance experts can help you assess which one of our maintenance plans will best support your needs. Visit FjorgeDigital.com or call 612-877-3840 and get the support and protection your website and business deserve. That's F-J-O-R-G-E-Digital.com. A more refreshing kind of talk radio. Cranberry Radio. Cranberry.fm. Webcology takes you into the deepest and darkest ends of the ecosystem on the internet. Here are the hosts, Jim Hedger and Dave Davies. Welcome back to Webcology here on Crappery.fm. It is the 27th of October, 2016. You know what's significant about the 27th of October, 2016? It's going to be winter soon. That's what. (laughs) Get out there and enjoy any warmth you got. Well, you still can. 
We're joined by somebody who's got plenty of warmth around him because he lives in Florida, uh, Tracy Ingram, CEO and founder of Bioscanner and Intention Technologies. Um, so let me, let me just get this. Was it Bioscanner that uh, created the um, that, that participated in the uh, contest that created the Tricorder? Yes, it was Bioscanner that was actually the one that was in the in the Tricorder competition. And Intention Technologies, um, the uh, the I, I see what you're doing there, the IoT thing. Um, <laughs> Well, and that's what? really what it is. It's all of that other same technology that you would use for medicine for marketing. Now, earlier, we, we, we were talking about what the Internet of Things might do for, uh, for Google Search and for, for the, the world of SEO. And it occurred to me while you, were, uh, while you were talking with Dave that Internet of Things presents the opportunity for the most – it's the holy grail – the ultimate personalized search, search environment. Exactly. I mean it becomes really it, – it's about you. I mean, what we all think we live in our own universe anyway, so I mean, why not make it where it's really giving you that information about you, you know, about your car, about your house, about, you know, your friends, about, you know, your everything else that's going on, um, where you can actually really start seeing, you know, it. to me, when I started doing some of that with, with Bioscanner, I likened it to the mood ring, you know, and, you know, this whole thing of, like, what, how are you feeling? Well, now it will really know how you're feeling, and then your personal assistant will know how you're feeling and can react to you based off of how you're feeling. So if your stress levels are up or everything else, they'll go, hey, or you start to get that 2.30 feel in the afternoon, they go, um, do you need a coffee? Can I have you know Uber deliver a coffee for you from Starbucks? You know, And to really have that level of interaction because it knows you, and it doesn't just think it knows you. Interestingly, speaking, speaking of Uber, uh, earlier this week, we were stunned to find that um, Uber's new trucking division had successfully navigated a driverless 18-wheeler full of beer from one end of Colorado to the other. Risky cargo. Risky? Well, it, it was Budweiser, so, you know. Um, <laughs> but, um, but, I mean, but... Forgetting that, forgetting the brand of beer. With that too, we just actually announced last night here in Tampa. We just did a partnership with the local uh, Heart Transportation um, Division and Tesla to start doing a driverless solution uh, here locally for public transportation, which you know makes it interesting of how that you know Tesla's new pull on that whole automated Uber thing is going to go. Well, it's, I just I just find it kind of funny. A couple of years ago, we were uh, people like myself were worried about Uber hollowing out opportunity for say new immigrants to uh, to any large city. Now we now I'm thrilled by the idea that Uber might be revolutionizing the entire transportation system. And again, these are all examples of of how rapidly data and the Internet of Things is changing the way we look at society and ourselves in society um how significant was that truck drive is it is it as big a deal as i think it was well i think with with all the problems that are happening with accidents and other things with truck drivers of working too many hours driving sleepy you know i mean when if a car hits you or you know one of those little eco thing hits you it's it's something but if you, you've ever seen a semi-accident you know to be able to have something like that to make that whole experience safer and to realize how much of our goods get still get back and forth by trucks, you know, it's not all flights anymore. You know, there is there's still the trucks that take things back and forth on the road. It, it's got to get from the airport to the market somehow, right? Exactly. Now, this begs the obligatory question. Another major event that happened earlier last week was the internet was almost taken down 
primarily through hacking insecure um, IP addresses attached to the Internet of Things. Exactly. What I kind thought of we threat? might end up there. Well, <laughs> we, we, kind of, we kind of got it. Let's hope we never do again. How, how did that happen, and how can individuals prevent that from happening or help prevent it from happening? Um, well, you could get people to buy quality equipment and not buy stuff you know, <laughs> um, that, that is made in a garage. Uh, but that's that's the nature of the technology that we have. You know, we get people who want to put something together on Kickstarter. They're like, "Hey, there's no problem with this. Oh, I found some co- open source code online. I'll just download this and install it. It'll be great." Um, yeah, I mean, security is a huge, huge problem with the Internet of Things because, well, I mean, the, the biggest problem is most of your things with the Internet of Things don't have a screen. It doesn't have any indicator to tell you there's a problem. You just have it, it works or it doesn't work. And so there's no reason, there's no way to know really that if it's been hacked or if there's any um, uh, vulnerabilities that are going on with it, where, you know, if your computer starts acting up, you'll start to do something to it, where this, it's, you know, a camera that might still be working and you don't even know there's a problem. Well, I think part of figuring out how individuals might be able to be part of the uh, uh, solution chain is helping individuals understand exactly how this technology works, how it interacts with the rest of the web, how a, a handshake between your refrigerator and the server at your local grocery store could happen, etc. Is there any resources you can think of out there that you know will help people learn more about the Internet of Things? Um, well, I mean, there's always the IoT conferences um, that are coming up. I'm trying to think offhand sort of some good, um, simple resources uh, that would do that because, you know, as we start seeing all this stuff, um, you know, kind of coming through, I feel like everything has its own little vulnerabilities. And there, there's there's some pushes with some major companies to be able to provide an overarching security um, and provide updates. You know, I mean, I think this becomes the same thing with your computer about trying to keep it updated. Um, yeah, okay, I so, can't so, think so. Yeah. Your fridge is like your WordPress site, huh? <laughs> you know, you're going to get trouble. <laughs> well, I mean, you look at downtown, you know, New York City when they put those internet hotspots in, and all of a sudden they were just, you know, playing Pornhub, you know, <laughs> and, and that and that also happened with uh, fridges too. So the new the new G fridges that have the built in web browsers. Oh no! <laughs> yes, they were uh, displaying. Um, oh, for yeah, God's porn. sake! Of course. Yeah. They so, <laughs> I mean, you know, it became one of those foundations of the internet, right? Yeah. Geez. <laughs> which is a whole nother level of internet of things that we're not going to discuss on the show Bobby what's that thing <laughs> a question I had and I, I, I'm going to take it I mean I might as well take us off on a slightly different tangent here right now because this is a good tangent to exit on <laughs> um, we, we, we've chatted and, and I know you know I've watched your your Facebook feed there, Tracy. Um, and so I've seen a lot of, of posts on uh, virtual reality. I've seen a lot of posts on um, augmented reality, uh, of course. And, and now we're talking about, you know, sort of adding biometric sort of side of things. Or that was earlier in the show. But um, we haven't really seen, I mean, when I think virtual reality at this point, I'm thinking of Oculus, right? Like big device I wear on my face. Um, when I think of augmented reality, I am thinking of pretty simplistic, levels of you know pokemon go or so like yes it was a marvel but let's be honest it's a fairly simplistic premise um for a game or something what do you think for for next generation um 
you know, what are we going to start to see? And, and I ask because as marketers, and you're a marketer, so what are you doing to prepare for whatever this next generation that may sort of hybrid virtual reality with augmented reality? Or one may, may accelerate in, in absence of the other. How do we prepare for that? Well, I mean, obviously, you know, personal plug here. One of the things that we're doing, you know, as marketers to kind of prepare for this is giving people the metadata, um, providing APIs to give, um, you know, people who are building virtual reality solutions more data so that they can um, one-up their competition. Because that becomes kind of what's really, really out there is as each, you know, large company is now promoting to be the biggest and the best of virtual reality – um, what makes them different and what's the differentiator? And I think that's where the Internet of Things and metadata comes in as a connection into virtual reality and to be able to see how that's all can um, play together to give you a more immersive experience. You know, one of the – when the web – think of th- – uh, Think of the iterations we've had of the web. We had like Web 1.0 where you had the basic website, Web 2.0 where you had social media and interactivity. Uh, we're into this Web uh, 4.0 thing, Internet of Things. Um, in each of the iterations of the web, we weren't really sure how the users were going to respond to the technology in front of them. And as we've seen, you know, that the users have taken the Internet and, and – Use it in strange and wild ways, completely unexpected. Now, when you guys were talking about uh, advances in, in VR and AR, I was thinking, well, what about Westworld? Um, now, I'm not suggesting we're at a Westworld thing, a Westworld No spoilers, yet. no spoilers. <laughs> but how do you see, Tracy? Do, you, do we got a handle on how people want to use virtual reality or augmented reality, or are we just sort of spaghetti throwing spaghetti at a wall and seeing what works. Uh, I think there's definitely a lot of spaghetti being thrown at the wall. I think that's definitely it. And I think that's part of what, you know, we're trying to do is trying to give you this, this effective data to understand what people are are emerging and experiencing that they're like, and that they don't like. Um, One of the projects we were working on um, for the military a while back was to take uh, that same metadata and train that with a virtual assistant who is teaching you. And so if you got confused or frustrated, it could slow down the instruction, and if you got bored, it could speed up the frustrate, speed up the lesson. And so that level of interaction kind of is what you know we're looking at with the VR world. Is like, okay, I'm bored, you know. Oh, okay, now all of a sudden something happens and a dragon flies in. Okay, now that's exciting again. And when gamers can get into some of the stuff they call serious games, where you're now interacting levels of engagement, you can keep kind of that keep coming back because you can always keep ramping it up a little bit see i like that idea where you can you can tailor it and if i keep taking off my headset and you know every time i'm not bored right like if you right you know take some person who's having a heart attack in a in a uh, <laughs> you know haunted house or something if they keep ejecting at that point hey you know maybe they want something toned out of it something i found really funny that you said and it's just a reminder of how sad the world is getting um you had sent me a, a really really neat 360 virtual reality chair um, or, or sent me a link to it. You didn't actually send me the chair, but if you want to, you know, go right. ahead. Well, and, I, you know, it could have the address, but I didn't know if it gave there in time for the show. But. <laughs> um, it had the saddest statement that I've ever read, because in this piece it has a, a an, it's called an Infinidec, right? Like basically a, a platform for using your Oculus or, or VR, and it allows you to walk around. And one of the saddest statements, and I think it's in a, in a pitch for the chair, is standing can be tiring, 
And for virtual reality to become mainstream, it needs to be easy and comfortable. And I was like, that that's where we're at, eh? <laughs> I can't even stand anymore while I'm while I'm playing a video game. <laughs> I need to be sitting. But um, is this like a, basically? I guess sort of last prediction, and I, I have a bunch of other questions, so I'm gonna have to drag you on at some point. But is this kind of where we're heading? Are, are we going towards the world of, of Wally now in, in in this scope of things? Is it really that sad, or or will we get a more immersive, more like Star Trek? You know, eventually at some point where we're actually fully engaged in the environment, or, or are we really going to become vegetables? Well, I, I think that's why I like augmented reality more than virtual reality because a virtual reality does lead towards the vegetable and the I don't have to get off my couch and I don't have to do anything. Where the augmented reality, um, you know, and as much as Pokemon, everything like that, you actually had to physically go somewhere. I had to get out of the house. And so being attached to my computer all the time, I was looking for something that would get me out of the house and make me go explore some of the parks nearby. So that's why I kind of got uh, attached to something like that. And I think that's where I could take a whole entire world and lay it over the world that I have in front of me, but have the ability not to run into things is really that perfect mix. Because with virtual reality, you always kind of like you're going, oh, this is a great world until I run into a wall. <laughs> um, this is just, I was totally immersed until I hit that thing. But if you, with augmented reality, now you're taking that virtual experience and you can block out all sensory parts, but still see the walls and the cars and the, and you know, the doors so that when you're interacting with a door, you interact with the door kind of like a dream. You're interacting with something, but it's into another world. But that other world has these confines of being safe. Well, unfortunately, we're going to have to leave it at that, Tracy, because we we work in a world where I'm afraid time and space still matter, and we have another show coming up right on behind us here on Granbury. <laughs> so, Tracy Ingham, CEO and founder of Bioscanner and Intention Technologies, like Dave said, we're going to have to drag you back on the show again, because I, I, I got a million questions, too. Wait, let's um, do it. Let's do it. We're some, and, that, and that is Intention Technology, not Intention Technologies. <laughs> There's one technology. Uh, it's Intention. <laughs> greatest technology of all friends you've been listening to webcology on cranberry.fm on the 27th of october 2016 on behalf of dave davies from beanstalk internet marketing this is jim hedge from digital always media we're going to be back next week and uh you know listeners you're going to want to stick around uh cranberry check this out we have rob boosie coming up Next week, we're going to be talking about featured snippets. After that, we got Cindy Crumb to chat mobile mobile search. David Satala on November 17th. And Dwayne Brown from Unbounce. On the 24th, we got a lot more coming up in December. But the next month is totally solid. So's the next few hours on Cranberry.fm. So stay tuned. We'll talk to you next week. The opinions expressed are those of the hosts and their guests and do not necessarily reflect those of the staff and management of Cranberry News Marketing and Cranberry.fm. Rebroadcasts or retransmission of this content without proper consent is prohibited.